Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Hi, this is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth, and we're here with our special guest once again, Denise Logan. Denise serves dentists throughout the United States and has worked with business sellers throughout the United States and Canada. She's an author, a speaker. Denise, we're pleased to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Bob. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, our topic today is about something that maybe a lot of practice owners or sellers Uh, don't think about, but many times it's the most important thing in a practice transition, and that's unaddressed emotion and how sometimes that can kill deals. A classic line in business sales is time kills deals. I know in real estate, that's like the mantra. It's like time kills deals. That's that's what uh, has been said many, many times. But you have another saying. You're saying is unaddressed, unaddressed emotion kills deals. What do you mean by that? Ah, so I love that. Whenever I hear someone say time kills all deals, I know that person is scared. (laughs) They're scared that if they don't push, the deal will fall apart and they're going to lose out. So if we go back to the concept of how emotion is driving everything, time is not what kills the deal. If we use the metaphor of the children's game, shoots and ladders, do you remember that game yes. when you were a kid or when your children were young? So I grew up in Canada where it was called snakes and ladders. I'm like, who thought to call it snakes? It's like children's game for heaven's sake. But if you think about what's going on in that game, you roll the dice or spin the little dial and you move your peg. So you move along and all of a sudden you hit a ladder and that moves you up the board and you're thinking, woohoo, here we are. I'm going to win this game. And then a few moves later, you had a shoot. Zoop, it brings you back down low on the board. That is what a, a transaction feels like for our owners. For those of us who are professionals, we know that there are ups and downs in the process of a transaction. For our buyers and sellers, every single time they hit that shoot, it feels like the bottom has dropped out of their world. And so when we are able to attend to that disappointment and that fear that comes up, they can stay on the board. If we don't address that emotion that comes up for them, it is likely that they will, you know, flip the board (laughs) and say, I'm out. That's what usually a realtor or a broker means when they say time kills all deals. They're scared that the owner or that the buyer or seller might walk away. You can keep those transactions together 
as long as you help people to process that emotion that otherwise trips off all of the fear. Excellent. Well, you know, the big trick is how do you drill down and, and find the unaddressed emotion in a way that won't offend people? Oh, gosh. So, you know, one of the things I like to do in every transaction is to help people remember the little exercise we did in an earlier episode with the hand where we look at fight, flight, freeze, fawn, submit. How does that show up for each of us? Because when I recognize the pattern that I have, and I know the pattern you have, I'm going to notice, oh, wow, Bob's pulling away. I wonder what just scared Bob. Instead, if I don't know that that's what's happening, I might just keep plowing forward. Or let's say that fight is someone's fear response. As soon as they start getting aggressive or angry, I might push back. Oh, knowing that's actually fear. So when I begin a transaction and I have everyone map there, how do I show up? What is my fear pattern? And we're transparent and open about it with each other. We can do what I call pausing the content. So we no longer talk about the deal. We drop down to the context. We talk about what just happened that scared someone. That's how you know, if you've ever been in a conversation with someone and all of a sudden you're like, wait, how do we get, like, why is everyone mad? Something else happened. And our friend, the amygdala, the fear sensor, is always paying attention to what's going on in the room. So remember, it's a little bit of a dumb part. It can't always distinguish between real danger and imaginary danger. So the amygdala might spot someone in the room, they make a face that reminds our amygdala of the face our dad made right before everything blew up at home. Guess what? That might scare us. If instead of pushing forward, we're able to be self-reflective enough to say, I don't know what just happened, but I feel off. Or we're able to say safely to each other, hey, what just happened? That goes back to an earlier point where we talked about being open and transparent and not concealing information. It allows us to feel safe enough to say, hey, Bob, what just happened? And for you to answer, then we can address those issues. If we ignore them and simply try to press through because we're afraid time kills all deals, guess what? That pushing through without addressing the underlying issues will actually kill the deal. So how do we make it safe for people to say what's true? Like, I don't know what I'm going to be after I leave my practice. Or my wife doesn't want to do what I want to do when we retire. If we create the kind of transparency and safety to have those conversations, we always get to address them. And my view is our goal is to safely help a seller exit their business and go happily on into the next chapter of their life. We don't want to just ram them through a process and dump them out all battered and filled with regret on the other side. And for that reason, sometimes it does mean slowing down so that our emotions can catch up. There are some examples of... Uh situations where there has been unaddressed emotion with sellers 
and they have actually tried to sabotage their own deals. In a previous episode, you gave one example on a very large transaction. I can think of uh, numerous transactions that I've been involved in, one full price sale and the seller did not accept the full price offer from a buyer and finally would talk to me a few days later after that offer came in and said, you know, Bob, I just really like dentistry. And it turned out that they were not emotionally prepared. Things happened too fast and they weren't ready. Um, I had another seller um, in the Cleveland market one time where there had never been any accidents in the parking lot of this dental practice, but the practice was located on the corner of an intersection. And uh, a buyer said to the seller, uh, have you had any accidents out here? And, and the seller goes, no, but you know, with cut through traffic, they were concerned about cut through traffic. Mm. And uh, the buyer said, have you had any accidents in the parking lot, people trying to cut through? And, and the seller goes, no, but we're going to have somebody get killed out there someday. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then right after that, the, the seller said, uh, not long after that, he said, you know, when I sell you my practice, you're going to lose a lot of patience. <laughs> it's like, wow. Uh, could you do anything more to sabotage the sale? Um, so I'm sure that uh, the advisors on this um, podcast have, have probably many examples as well. I'd like to go on to what percent of sellers have a difficult time with the emotional side of a practice sale. Uh, and what, what can uh, sellers do to self-diagnose to determine if the emotional side of the whole transition is actually going to be their biggest limiting factor? So every seller has an emotional drama about selling their business. Every single seller. The question is whether or not you will allow yourself to acknowledge that there is emotion around the sale of your practice. So even in my own situation, after I exited my business, I was thrilled to be out of that business. And yet here's something that happened for me on the day that the transaction closed and another law firm that I had merged with came and picked, they had trucks and trucks full of all of the, the furniture and the files and all of the things that were leaving. I wanted to get a look at that last truck as it was pulling around the building. So I leaned toward the window, you know, to just get a good look. And I hit my head on the window trying to see the truck. And when I pulled back from the window, there were tears rolling down my face. And I thought, oh, I don't think I hit my head that hard. No, I didn't. I realized it's over. So I was thrilled. I got what I wanted. But, oh, no, I got what I wanted. Oh, I got what I wanted. And for many weeks after the close of that transaction, I felt it. There were days where I, I was thrilled. I could be on the patio with a cup of tea and my book any time of day I wanted. And then in the middle of, of something, I would think, oh, I need to tell so-and-so about, oh, that's right. It doesn't belong to me anymore. The truth is that's very normal. We see it with our children when they're getting ready to uh, move on from you know, elementary school to middle school. They miss their teacher. We know how to comfort them around that. But sometimes as business owners, the people around us or ourselves, we don't recognize that this is a transition. 
we will feel many things around it. We will feel excitement and we will also feel some loss. It's the very reason why I wrote The Seller's Journey, because we watch the characters in that book go through that very process. And it helps to normalize a very normal experience. Pretending that you won't feel emotion about the sale of your practice is fooling yourself. Knowing that you will and finding support to help you through it, both with choose the way you choose your advisors, the way you help prepare your family for it, the way you help them care for you, that's how we make healthy transitions into a time where we're grateful that we have exited and know that both things are true. We will miss it. Well, you've just addressed what can we do to address some of the challenges that that sellers face, uh, finding support, prepping the family. And it sounds like owners need to be doing this before the practice sale to get ready uh, throughout the course of it. Uh, throughout the course of the transition and then, of course, afterwards as well. Um, all dentists leave dentistry someday, obviously. Most, most experience uh, health issues I've seen, though, before they consider selling their practices. Uh, it's amazing the percentage of uh, sales that we've done where the, the owner of the practices uh, have you know serious health issues. Unfortunately, too many practice owners, uh, there are some that you know they have unexpected disability or, or death sometimes that occurs um, and this really leaves those who care who the dentist and the practice owners care about mostly it leaves them out hung out to dry because maybe there's no preparation for such an event um, and that's usually the case it, it really leaves a mess can you imagine a dental practice owner's family who has nothing to do with the operation of the practice now being responsible for running the practice and then having to sell the practice without the practice owner there. And then that's compounded by the fact that, okay, maybe some other local dentists jump in and they help out for a while, but guess where the patients end up going? They end up going to these other practices. So it's very kind for others to help out, but it's also helping to um, diminish the value of the practice. In fact, uh, it's we've seen that when a practitioner has gone from a practice that a practice value will lose about one third of its value every month. So by the end of three months, you're pretty much down to just asset value. What are the chairs worth and that sort of thing? What are your thoughts about pretending that mm -hmm. we are immortal? Oh my goodness. You know, I have a whole special. So my mental health training is in work and financial disorders and death and dying. And those two things come together because often we pretend that if we focus enough on the money, we don't have to focus on the fact we will leave. When I hear an owner say, if I leave my business, I always pause them and say, I'm sorry, that word is when, not if. Every one of us will leave our business voluntarily or involuntarily. And so coming to the reality of that, you know, for many owners, when they struggle with the, I'm just going to work until the last day, right? I'll just die at my desk. I hear it a ton or I'll die behind the chair. Not only is that a fantasy because you don't always have the choice about that. 
you don't always get to choose when you leave. Some interesting statistics have shown that most of us actually believe we will work longer than we will be able to, to work, both physically or because we have a spouse who or a parent who requires our care. And so I always like to be able to make choices for myself. I don't really like it when other people make choices for me. And so uh, an owner who prepares for the exit. We go back to the same thing. We don't wait until our children graduate to say, so what are you going to do with yourself? We prepare them. There's a lot of work that is put into the grand opening of a business. But I think from the very beginning, when you first open your business, you should be thinking about, and how will I leave my business? How and when? I think a lot of owners don't prepare for that because they haven't done that other work we talked about which is, who am I outside of my practice? And what does work provide for me? And how will I get those same needs met outside of work? Denise, this brings us to our last uh, question of the day, and it's really kind of the highlight to our whole four-episode segment together. And that is, what is one thing to guarantee success in, in a sale of a practice? If you had to sell in the next year, if you were a practice owner and had to sell in the next year, what one thing would you do to guarantee success? I would choose advisors who care as much about my transition as they do about the transaction. Because those advisors will help you to navigate any of these things that we've talked about today that you haven't thought of beforehand. A caring professional will help you to navigate those so that you are not dumped out of your business, unprepared to step into the most wonderful chapter of the next part of your life. Denise, it's been fantastic having you with us for these four episodes. Uh, would you please leave your or share your contact information with our listeners? I'd love that. It's been my pleasure to be with you, Bob. We always have such a good time. I'm at denise.logan.com. You can email me at denise at denise.logan.com. And The Seller's Journey is available on my website or in Kindle and Audible on our friend Amazon. Very good. Thanks, Denise. I look forward to next time we uh, have a chance to visit and appreciate uh, the listeners through this series of episodes. So long for now. Mm -hmm.